Welcome to Their Very Best, a podcast where total amateurs make wild proclamations about the work of expert professional musicians, despite having no actual qualifications. Tonight we have a special guest, their very best hip-hop consultant, Tim Lindbergh, here to give us some wild, unsolicited opinions about Beastie Boys. Tim, welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Bill is off. He's traveling. He is traveling on their very best business. He's attending a Davos-style symposium on podcast marketing right now, and so he couldn't join. It's a reasonable excuse, I think. Yeah. And I don't mean to brag, and I don't mean to boast, but I'm intercontinental when I eat French toast. <laughs> You're just going to jump right in. All right, let's do it. Okay, let's go. This morning, I had a long commute into Boston, two plus hour kind of thing. And I put on Beastie Boys about halfway through, and usually like when I'm preparing for an episode. I'll just like scrub through like this song, that song, I'll listen to the things. But I just, I put on Ill Communication because I, I didn't know that one too well. Sure. And I just listened to it and I just loved it. And I had such a fun time. And then I put on something else after that. I think it was um, Paul's Boutique. Yeah. Which I know I'm supposed to like best of all, but I didn't know very much of. And I just had such a fun time. They're so fun, you know? They are fun. They've always been fun. I think it's part of what makes them cool is that even though they were making great music, they were also funny and fun. Didn't really care that much what you thought about them. Let's jump in. Do you have a do you have a pick? I do. And, and, my, and my preamble for this is like there's certain music that intersects you at a certain point in time in your life. And it doesn't necessarily have to be music that's coming out in the moment. But sometimes it is. And so for me, Beastie Boys is how I like I plot my teenage and young adult lifehood. That's the bridge and the continuity that took me from, you know, 12 and 13 year old uh, to to who who I am now. And there's only a few musicians, I think, that sort of fit in that spectrum of being really, really important over a big part of time. Super near and dear to your heart then. So my first I'm going in chronological order here. Oh, good. Okay. So the first song I want to talk about on this tour of Beastie Boys is Cookie Puss, um, <laughs> okay. which uh, which which came out um, in 1983, um, and I didn't hear it until I think. 94. It came out as part of a compilation called Some Old Bullshit, which was like a hodgepodge of early stuff and weird remixes and things like that. Yes, what's your name? Hello? Hello, man. You got Cookie Puss's number? He's my supervisor. He'll help you. So I was already a diehard fan. Cookie Puss was the Beastie's first foray into hip hop. They were a punk band. Um, they were on a label called Rat Cage. Um, right. They had put out this EP called Polywog Stew before uh, the year before that. And but they were falling in love with hip hop 
in New York in the early 80s, and this was their first foray uh, as, as a hip-hop group. I hadn't heard this until earlier tonight. I was playing it for the Beast. She was unimpressed. <laughs> well, and like you have to, you have to hear it in context, right? Like, this is 1983. Yeah. We're still, we're still in like the breakdancing era at this point, you know. And and so this is like an electro, funky. You know, um, you can hear the emergence of like the their obsession with samples start to sort of pull through in this. And also, it's just funny, you know. And and uh, it's a crank call, and they're talking about you know, a Carvel ice cream cake. But I think that what's interesting is like, this feels like a little bit of a joke now, but like this actually was a song that mattered. Like DJs played this record and they didn't know it was three Jewish white kids from Brooklyn. So this was actually sort of not a big hip-hop moment, but an important hip-hop moment, even though no one knew who they were, and this was their first attempt to be anything other than a punk rock band. Hello, Carvel. Yo, man, Cookie Puss there. Who? Cookie Puss. I want to speak to Cookie Puss, man. And so this came out after three albums of them being hip-hop artists, where they had already... I said, yo, I house you. Where's Cookie Puss at? ...started to... I mean, their first album was a straight-up hip-hop record. Their second album was a straight-up hip-hop record. But by the time Check Your Head came out, they were starting to pull through some of their punk rock roots, and they were getting into playing some funk, and they were playing live instruments again. So as a fan, by the time you got through that third album, you were primed for who they were earlier in their career. And so to discover Cookie Puss then made a lot of sense, right? Like, it helped connect the dots, I think. Do you have another pick? Maybe something from um, License to Ill? Because I feel like maybe that's the the starting point for most people. It is. And, 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 and for me, I was, this is 1986. I'm living overseas and, you know, I'm getting my American music in, in small doses. I came back to Boston and I bought Beastie Boys License to Ill and I bought Run DMC's uh, album Raising Hell and then I go back I go back overseas and so these two records to me were sort of uh, you know along with like LL Cool J's um, first album a couple years later these were like the foundation of building blocks for me as a hip hop fan what's what's your pick from uh, License to Ill uh, so my favorite song from that record uh, is Slow and Low And License to Ill and Run DMC, I mean, they wor- they worked together. They wrote songs for each other. They went on tour together. They produced each other's records. And 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 Rick Rubin was producing both of those albums. And so they they sound a lot alike because all the same people are involved. So this song was originally a Run DMC song. So like they they get writing credits. Rick Rubin produced it. Run DMC recorded it. And they just, um, they didn't put it on their album. And the Beastie Boys asked if they could cover it. 
and that's how it became a Beastie Boys song. But, uh, you know, like Fight for Your Right to Party was everyone's favorite song off that record, or No Sleep Till Brooklyn. But for me, this was just, it had that same kind of hard rock sensibility that Run DMC's Raising Hell record had. And to me, it was like their best moment as rappers on the record, too, I thought. Before we talk about Paul's Boutique, my remaining story about Slow and Low is that I love this song so much that as an adult, I was friends with a, a guy from like a local hardcore band called Scissor Fight, and I traded him a turntable for a copy of a 12-inch of Slow and Low because he happened to have randomly, you know, in his six hip-hop records in his collection, he had an original 12-inch of this, and, and I made the trade. And were you happy with the trade to this day? I would if I hadn't sold it 15 years ago, but um, <laughs> at the time it felt like a great deal for me. Nice. I had plenty of turntables. Right. Not being a hip hop guy, I'm not trained to like identify the samples, but I'm, you know, I'm able to hear the really obvious ones when, when they come up. And then sometimes I feel like I kind of know what the sample is and I don't know what it is. Uh, well, that's that they do that on purpose. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that the art of sampling is either you use something that everybody knows and you get permission for it now and it forms the basis of uh, of the song or for a lot of producers they're sampling and cutting and pasting and inverting and stretching and time stretching and you know they're they're taking something and turning it into something unrecognizable even if somewhere in the back of your head you're you're still logging that it sounds familiar And the Beastie Boys were 100% pioneers in that. And Paul's Boutique, as an album, did that in a way that no group had ever done. And they weren't just doing more sampling, they were sampling more on each song. So many samples. I mean, these are just loaded with them. All these Beastie Boy ones. Well, right, and, and so Paul's Boutique was produced by the Dust Brothers, who who had, they'd work with like Tone Loke, but they were also producing music directly for the club scene. And so, like when they they left New York and they left Def Jam and they, they moved to the West Coast and they hooked up with the Dust Brothers, who were making dance records for the clubs that were layer after layer after layer after layer of samples and the Beastie Boys were just like, yeah, we want to rhyme over that. <laughs> and they were like, oh no, it's too busy. We have to strip this down. And the Beasties just, they're like, no, we want, that's what we want. So for me on that record, there's really, you know, at the risk of blowing past my five or six song limit here, there's Shake Your Rump, which is the most complicated song ever <laughs> created from a hip hop perspective. There are so many samples in this and there's so much noise, but there's also so much rhythm and it feels like a funky 70s record at the same time. Right. But uh, if you if you look up the song, there's like documentaries about this song because the pure number of samples that are involved in stitching this together. 
So there were two samples that I heard in one of these albums, it might have been this one, that I recognized that I know that nobody else will know, or very few people will know. They're two from the same really obscure 70s sort of glam, pre-glam rock album. Did they, do you like buy the rights to an entire album's worth of samples or do you do them one song at a time or like, how does it work? Do you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I mean, there are people who have purchased rights to catalogs of music, but in general, it's, it's on the song level and, and because of the way the Beastie Boys sampled and De La Soul too, who got into a world of trouble for, <laughs> for how they did sampling on their debut record. Right. I remember they became the basis for how laws and, and, legal norms were structured around sample usage even later i think in their career on their third record they uh they actually won uh, a suit um someone was suing them claiming uh that you know that they had sampled without permission and they had used such a small part of it that that they didn't actually end up having to to pay for it from just from a pure sampling standpoint they were always like right on the cusp of of what you could get away with and what you couldn't, and uh, I think there's there's a lot of a lot of sampling laws out there that have the Beastie Boys stamp on them. What else do you have, and why is it Johnny Ryall? It is not Johnny Ryall, although that I mean to me like so <laughs> this is like my you know my high school Beasties album is is Paul's Boutique. My favorite song on the record is Shadrach. Oh right, I love that. <laughs> This is 89, so this is like my sophomore, junior year of high school, and this album, you know, everyone was listening to Van Morrison and The Grateful Dead and Bob Marley, you know, and R.E.M. and this, right? Like, and, and uh, my friends and I, this is what we listened to. This was, you'd listen to this album straight through, and then you'd go back to the beginning and do it again. I mean... And and, uh, and the video was was great. It was an animated thing that uh, MCA from the Beastie Boys directed. just really cool and honestly like the videos for the beastie boys were always cool and they were cool even when they were low budget and they they wove in all the other shit i cared about right there was always skateboarding or basketball and there was graffiti and pop culture references and and i feel like they used videos to sort of paint a portrait of like a whole culture that they were part of it wasn't just guys rapping in front of a camera and 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 that mattered to me as a fan I'm looking up uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's uh, three Hebrew men thrown into the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon. Jewish rappers from Brooklyn getting thrown into the uh, inferno of the hip hop world, maybe uh, of whatever. And I, you know, who knows whether they were trying to really make a broader point there, or they just thought the sample was cool. But the sample is cool, 
It's a Sly and the Family Stone sample. And uh, oh, really? It's just a great song, and it's just it's so funky. And you know, one of my favorite things about the Beasties always was their wordplay. And it wasn't like other groups where it was like you do a verse and then stop, and then I'll do a verse and then you do a verse. They're going back and forth, back and forth all the time. If you watch how they recorded in the studio, you know, they they would be in three sound booths and they would do this all together at the same time because they didn't want to just be punching in their lyrics. Tim, I have a question for you. So, yes, sir. You know, we're both East Coast kids. We are. And when we've talked about hip hop in the past, you led me to believe that the West Coast hip hop is a little funkier, a little slower, a little funkier. Sure. Is that in general, accurate? Yeah. 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 How would you explain? Like, I think of all the BC Boys stuff as being pretty funky. I mean, not just because they're like funky samples, but like when they're like making their own music, you know, not just from samples, but from playing stuff. It's funky sometimes. Yeah. What do you think? Do they... Oh, 100%. Do they fit into that... I mean, I think... East Coast, West Coast thing or... No, I, I don't think they do. And there and, and there are other groups that don't. I mean, that sort of funk, G-funk, West Coast thing was sort of a signature sound for West Coast hip hop, particularly L.A., you know, L.A. and Compton hip hop. It wasn't as true with the Bay Area or other other areas of the state. The Beasties were sponges and they just weren't afraid to be all the things you're not supposed to be. White rappers who are playing their own musical instruments. That's Paul's boutique and they're in Brooklyn. Who also, you know, get into punk rock music and like they just, they did what they thought was cool. Funk is a staple uh, sort of musical influence for anyone who's producing hip hop records. So we're still here on Paul's boutique. Do you have another... Another one from that, or do you want to move on? I mean, I, honestly, I could do that whole album. But, you know, if, if that's my if that's my high school record, then then Check Your Head was really like my my college album. There's two songs on there that for me are sort of like the yin and yang of of my my Beasties fandom. The first is Pass the Mic. Which for me is just like so unbelievably great. You know, they're playing live music. The video is amazing. They're skateboarding in it, and I was a skater, and like all the all the stuff in one place. And I would like to introduce what's up. I the mic for a fistful of The song itself is just so great. I feel like to me this is the high point of their MCing on that record. If I hadn't spent any time listening to some of these other albums this morning, Tim, I would have declared this album their very best um, because it was um, it's a favorite of mine. I wonder where else you're going to go. So if this is sort of, you said the yin and yang, clearly this is the rap yeah. part of the yin. Where's the yang? So, and I have three or four songs on here I could talk about, but the yin and the yang for me is this song and then Gratitude. 
And so like everyone, when they think about the Beasties doing anything other than hip hop, they point to Sabotage, which is obviously a fantastic record. This to me is a better version of the Beasties being a different kind of artist. It's got a punk edge, it's got rock influence, but it also still feels like a hip hop record to me. So this would be this would be the yang in my yin and yang. Nice. I think that the thing that really appealed to me, you know, I'm not a hip hop guy, I'm not a rap guy, but I've always loved this album, and I think it's because of the yangs that, that right. are on it, and there yeah, are yeah, many. Yeah. No, I honestly I totally agree with that, and and I can remember when I first got this album, I would go through it, and you know, I'd get to a song that wasn't a hip hop song, and I would skip it. And I would go to the next hip hop song and I would skip one. <laughs> and it sort of had to settle in me a little bit to, to broaden my horizon as a, as a fan of theirs about what am I into? And, and you know, uh, Gratitude is incredible. And then I think Lighten Up is on this album too, which is like a pure funk song. just has this like slow build and this slow build and it's super funky and then they break it down later and it builds back up and the fact that you can do this and pass the mic on the same record to me is incredible well and you know what i love about this sequence that we're going through here so you start with pass the mic on the in order on the album you start with pass the mic and there's your yin and then you went straight to the next track which was total yang for you right gratitude and lighten up i would say yeah. is even more so but then right after that finger looking good man which is yeah, yeah. which is <laughs> incredible and like their next two albums were like this right like check your head and ill communication they were bouncing back and forth they sort of pulled back to being more straight hip-hop in the albums that came out after that. But, uh, you know, to, to be able to have Get It Together with Q-Tip and Tough Guy and B-Boys making with the Freak Freak and all, like, all these songs together in one place, I just think it was a point in time. I love this part where the guitar comes in with the wah-wah after that funky Brazilian sounding drum, uh, drum yeah. scraping noise thing. I just, that's so funky, man. It's ridiculously funky. Yeah. This is the only album I'm really capable of talking about. So I'm going to be, I'm going to have to do that a little bit. And I need to mention two songs. We don't have to listen to too much of them, but my favorite for a long time on this album is Funky Boss. Sure. Great song. Because over the course of the past many years, I've eventually become the funky bald ass boss myself. <laughs> Me too. Ironically. This is my entrance music every time I come into the office, right? I queue up this thing remotely and then I come in. It's so great. It's so great.
honestly, that I, I'm with you on on this. This is my favorite album of theirs, cover to cover. It's just so good, and, and it's such a point in time for me in my life. Right. Um, okay, one last thing we have to talk about on this thing, and it's Professor Booty. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to. Yo, shut the fuck up, Chico, man. I've been hearing that she's been giving that stuff out to all of them graffiti guys. Yo, shut the fuck up, Chico, man. Who paint three of those mules for some of that ass? Professor, what's another word for pirate treasure? Well, I think it's booty. 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 Flexed this too, even though she doesn't approve of the um, F words. Yeah, no, it's, it's so good. It, honestly, it's so good. The whole record is great. So, can we declare this their very best, both of us? Yes, 100%. Okay, cool. Good. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm a, a hip hop expert now. Well, this is an easy one to rally around. And also, like, it just, this is still pre internet, and there's those albums that everyone, like, gloms onto in the same moment in time, you know, and Check Your Head was one of those records. G Love and Special Sauce had their album, and like everyone, everyone listened to that record. Didn't matter who you were or what else you're into, everyone listened to that, and everyone listened to this album. So I have two more for you on this album, or no, no, it's time to move on. We can't okay. stay here forever. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. All right. Well, we can move on. Where are we going? I guess we're going to. Uh... We're going to ill communication. Nice. So ill communication for me was like the last great Beastie Boys record. And and the best song on that album is Sure Shot. Okay. I think that that is false. I'd be willing to fight you. is a good song and honestly on my list i've like skipped over in in a horrible like unforgivable way great records yeah. there's a lot to choose from but this record uh this song on this album to me is just undeniable tim the um flute sample there i feel like do i know that from another from some other piece of music or is it just from this thing it's just so it's so familiar we're gonna have an honest moment here. You probably know it from watching Shrek with your kids. I don't think so, because we don't, it's not our, that's not a movie in our world. I think I know it from the Beastie Boys. Yeah, I just, I, I looked it up. It's a Jeremy Stieg, Jeremy Steig. I actually don't know. It's called, a, it's a song called Howlin' for Judy. But yeah, the loop is just, Every once in a while, an artist finds like a perfect loop to build the rhythm of the song around. And the flute here is just so great. Can I suggest two other candidates from this album? You may. Let it rip. 
And you're going to make me mad because you're going to say a song that I love, but, you know, okay. I can't list every song. But go ahead. Well, one of the things that I just love about this band is that, so they've got their yin and their hip-hop and their rapping thing, but then sometimes they'll just drop a yang on there that is completely out of the blue and com- a different genre yep. together and not always um, straight-up funk or uh, punk, right? Yep, yep. This song, Sabotage. I mean that's rock. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's just pure rock. It's it's rock, and it still feels like hip hop, and they've got scratches in it, and I mean it's a, it's a hard song not to have on a best of the Beastie Boys conversation. It's in my top fifteen, but it wouldn't be in my top ten. Well, you know what should be above that in the top 15? There are two others on this album that I like better than Sabotage. And, I don't know, you you might have sold me on Sure Shot, but this song, Sabrosa? Sure. Dude, I would love to have an album of just the Beastie Boys doing... Pure funk stuff. Yeah, amen. I thought that this song, I, I thought that I recognized some some of these noises from Check Your Head. Like I thought that for a minute, I was like, did they sample themselves for Check Your for Check Your Head? But the, but I know that Check Your Head is before this, so they couldn't have done it. I wouldn't put it past them to sample themselves. I mean, they they broke all the rules when it came to stitching together music, and they were you know playing playing. Uh, live instruments and then sampling and time stretching and twisting them around and then playing over them again and you know but then there was also this other one Futterman's Rule (laughs) honestly these, these two albums together Ill Communication and Check Your Head like just the amount of distortion and how well they used it to create this like fuzzy warmth through the whole record without like losing the bottom you know it's still the the bass is really thumpy and the drums are loud but there's just so much texture and weirdness to everything including their vocals you know they recorded these albums using like fisher price plastic microphones really yeah yeah which is how they uh they got them to sound so terrible but they were the ones who could make (laughs) it sound great you know having a lot of fun and getting really creative in an art form that you know was just being discovered right yeah and really doing it amazingly well how were they received in the larger hip-hop community i mean being white kids in uh, the realm that really belonged to black people in america yeah i mean how did they fare yeah i think it kind of depended how old you were you know like if you if you're my age it wasn't weird because they came up at the same time as Run DMC and they are, they're the ones who put LL Cool J on the map because they, you know, I think it was Ad Rock gave the demo to Rick Rubin and like they were, they were there from the beginning of my hip hop experience. And so I think if you're, you know, if you're a fan in your 40s and 50s, you know, you, it just, it just fits into your understanding of the spectrum of hip hop music. Someone in their 20s right now might have a different experience 
Well, Tim, you said that you only had a couple more, and it feels like maybe we fall off the cliff after uh, for you after um, ill communication. They put out a compilation called Sounds of Science, and there was a song on there called Alive. Which for me was kind of like the last of their hip hop records that I I really felt like I was connected to. Um, So that would be 1999. And by then I was like working in the industry and and was about to be working with Grand Royal Records. And like that was the last record for me that really. It's weird because the other Beastie Boys album that I know, that I knew a little bit after Check Your Head was Hello Nasty. Which a lot of people love. And it's just not, it didn't make it for you. Yeah, but again, I just, I think it's a point in time. I was starting to work with hip hop artists and managing artists and doing hip hop shows and DJing. And I was so super focused on like the underground scene coming out of New York and Philly and, and, and the Bay Area and the aperture of like my, my musical taste just got really narrow. I just missed Hello Nasty. I don't like your attitude, boy. Tim, do you think it's decided for the Beastie Boys? Are you going to call it? Are you willing to reiterate the proclamations? You have to make the proclamations. Yes. You're the host, so you have to make the proclamations. And you have to declare, we have to proclaim their best album and their very best song. Okay. So you're on the spot. We've already agreed that the very best album is Check Your Head. It is. It is. Check, check Your Head is number one and Paul's Boutique is number two. So I proclaim that right now. Now you have to proclaim their very best song. And it sounds to me like you weren't ready for that. No, I wasn't. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm ready now. <laughs> well, So Check Your Head is, is the best album from the Beastie Boys by a nose over Paul's Boutique. And by default, that would put Pass the Mic as the definitive number one Beastie Boys song of all time. Pass the Mic. Okay. Okay, pass the mic. It is, yeah. and so yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the copy here. I'm gonna tell people they have to get in touch. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook are all at their very best, and that we have email, contact at theirverybest.com. Or if you disagree with anything, send your email to wrong at their very best. Tim, I'm surprised you haven't used that yet, but I guess since you don't listen to the podcast, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have known. I listen to the podcast all the time. <laughs> it's all I listen to. And we've got the website, theirverybest.com, and that always has a playlist that has everything that we talked about. Listen to me now, don't listen to me later. Fuck it, cause I know I didn't make it fucking mine for real. But yo, technically, I'm as hard as still. We're gonna do more of these, so beware. Watch it. We'll be offering more unsolicited wrong opinions in the near future. I'm Waldron. And I am Tim. And thanks for listening to Their Very Best. Got the ill communication. Wild Bell. Got the ill communication. Wild Bell.